I recently heard an interview between Ezra Klein of the New York Times and the novelist Emily St. John Mandel. Emily St. John Mandel rose to prominence after the 2014 publication of her novel, Station Eleven. And since it concerns cultural survival in the face of a global pandemic, it has had something of a resurgence in recent years. HBO even made a miniseries out of it. She has a new novel, and in his introduction to the conversation, Ezra Klein quoted from one of the characters in that novel. There had been a lengthy exploration of what, why are we so attracted to post-apocalyptic literature? And this character in the novel, to paraphrase, says that I think what draws us to post-apocalyptic literature isn't that we are afraid of what might come next, but that we have a desire to find out what it is. That there is a secret longing within all of us for a different kind of world. Sometimes post-apocalyptic literature can be our nightmare. But what they were saying in this conversation was that it can also be our fantasy. I don't know about for you, but I think this is true for me. There's something in me that longs for a different kind of world, a sense that the world as it is really isn't as it should be. And sometimes I think that the best way to get there is just some disruption, something that will make it all different. Some of us play out this imagination through reading fiction. There are others who try to enact it by electing disruptive leaders. Far too often, people turn to war and violence, hoping that somehow from the rubble, a better world will emerge. The Apostle Paul was one of these people. We encountered him today in our reading from the book of Acts under the name of Saul, his given name, a name that comes from one of the great warlords of Israel. Saul, going out among the churches, the early churches, was set on disruption, bringing about a violent disruption that would somehow usher in God's kingdom. He was, as he would later write, a person full of zeal for God's righteousness. He thought that if just everything would come together right, if people would just worship God in the right way, then God would come to their rescue and help overthrow the Romans and establish God's kingdom on earth under a Messiah, as had long been predicted by the prophets. But now, there were these Jewish people who were going about and saying that the Messiah had already come and that he had been crucified on a cross and risen again from the dead. Saul could have none of this. These people were getting in the way of the plan for God's restoration, and so they had to be silenced. He was going to bring disruption to them through violence. 
So he traveled to Damascus in Syria, that long war-torn country. And there he was hoping to upset this group of disciples who had established a base there. But along his way, he had an encounter that changed him. On his path to Damascus, Paul saw the risen Christ. And in that moment, he realized that Jesus is the one who had taken all of the violence and disruption of the world into himself on the cross. And through his resurrection, had become the first fruit of a new reality, a resurrection life and new creation that was now breaking into all the world. What Saul, then Paul, experienced was an apocalypse. We often use this term apocalypse, but in our contemporary culture, we usually get the word wrong. Its original meaning, which is drawn from the Greek title of the book of Revelation, is to unveil, to reveal, to show the world as it really is. Sometimes when we show the world for what it really is, it can be horrific. Paul would later write that when Jesus was on the cross, he showed the powers of the world for what they really were, that they were both charlatans of goodness and beauty, but also that they were deeply attached to violence and um, the degradation of humankind. And through this apocalypse, Saul saw that there was a different truth that was coming into the world, a truly post-apocalyptic future, not of empty streets and nuclear wastelands as our popular imaginations tend to think, but instead the true thing that is revealed after all of the truth of the world comes to light is that God is moving in this world to create a new creation, to usher in a new kind of life. That's our true post-apocalyptic future. And we heard just a hint of that in our reading from Revelation, where this lamb that is slain, which represents Jesus, is worshipped by the whole of the cosmos. But we're not there yet. Most of us are still in this time when the truth of the world is still coming to light, and it can be unnerving. So what are we to do who live in this apocalyptic moment, who are still waiting for new creation and this first fruit of God's resurrection that has already entered in the world to, to bear its fullness What are we to do? I found some help this week as I got to hear from the Archbishop of Canterbury, the opportunity to listen in as he was addressing the graduating class at Virginia Theological Seminary. Archbishop Justin Welby told these seminary graduates that whatever they had experienced over their education, 
that it could in no way prepare them for what was truly to come in their ministry. He talked about how our time is experiencing more upheavals and changes than any in human history before. And we simply can't prepare properly for it. Instead, he said that these graduates would have to learn to be resilient. And the way he suggested that they do this is by entering into a life of constant worship and prayer. Worship and prayer, he said, will get you in touch with God, the God who is acting through all of history. It's through worship and prayer that we learn to have the resilience for whatever might come around the corner. As he was finishing his address, he shared an example of this resilience. He talked about visiting a friend of his who was a priest in Congo. And Archbishop Welby visited during the height of the Congolese Civil War when there was upheaval and violence that we can't even imagine. This church happened to be near the Ugandan border where many Congolese people were running for refuge. And by the doors of the church, he said that there were a pile of running shoes and a sign pointing towards the Ugandan border that was just a few hundred yards away. By the sign, the the arrow, there was a sign that said, in case of evasion, run like hell. (laughs) Most of us can't imagine living through a situation like this. And as Archbishop Welby toured with this Congolese priest through a refugee camp, he asked him how he could do ministry in such hard context. The priest said, I pray to God, and God gives me certain gifts. I do what I can with those. Everything else is God's problem. We don't know what the future may hold, but we can be sure that it is going to be perilous and different from anything that we've experienced before. So we as Christians who move in our daily ministries in the world need to learn from examples like this Congolese priest. In his example, I hear someone who has turned from worry to worship, who has turned from grand plans and strategies to prayer. That is the way that we will find resilience. The world is in an apocalyptic moment when the truth of all things is being revealed. Our hope is in the God that we know is working through all of it to bring resurrection life, a new heaven and a new earth for all of us. Amen.